Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are everyone that's here um some some faces we haven't seen in a while and some and some new faces that we would like to get to know we just welcome you and we thank you and we say welcome to our nest can everyone say that yeah we're grateful for having you um just so that you can know what's going on and and for anyone that's here and and from those of the house that have been here every single week you kind of know where we're at though we paused a little bit last sunday we're going to continue in a series that we're in this series is interesting because we don't really have a a calendar date of when it will end, it'll end when it ends. But we're going through the scripture and through the letter of Peter. Specifically, now we're in 1 Peter. And eventually we'll get into 2 Peter. And we've been in this now, this is our fourth week. Our fourth week in 1 Peter. But we're only in chapter 2 in our fourth week. So all I could tell you is, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the ride. Because the word of God is beautiful. It's there to teach us, to grow us, to mature us, right? Um, to correct us. How many of you love to read the Word of God and it encourages you? All right, amen. How many of you love to read the Word of God and it rebukes you? Yeah. You guys are all liars. All of you are saying, yes, I love it when it rebukes me. I love it when it corrects my life. It's, it's, it's but yes, amen. Yeah, I know you do because it makes you a greater person. And um, it, it leads you to righteousness, to holiness. Amen. So we're going to jump into this. So for all of you guys that are like, what is he preaching on? I feel like I don't know the flow of what's happening. You have an amazing opportunity to catch up with us because everything is recorded in two different platforms. You can watch us on YouTube. Amen. YouTube.com. Or, or, I was going to say Florida slash Nest Church. But on YouTube, search Nest Church. We're there. You could catch all our messages and on our podcast, search Nest Church. Jo- um, jump into the last three so that way you can know where we're at here on this fourth one. So today we are, I'm not going to say part four, but we are in our fourth installment. And if I were to title this message anything, I was going to say right conduct, but I said, no, I'm going to be a little bit more precise. I would title this message honorable conduct, honorable conduct, to have, uh, to conduct ourselves in an honorable way. And, and as we continue this series of teachings through these let, letters of Peter, I want you to remember where we were at last week. Last week we ended in verse 11 in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, and we finished with the reminder that we are just pilgrims. We're temporary residents on this earth. For those that don't know what journey, and it's a journey that's only for a moment. It's not forever, and we know that in our lives. And as we are here, we need to be aware Aware of things that we face every day that wage war. How many, how many of you remember that message? That wage war against your soul. And we need to keep away from the worldly desires. Worldly desires that don't do you, myself, any of us any good. One of our codes is we make war and it's battle together. Let us battle together. It's an invitation for us to pray and fast and do life together and make war. And the reality is when you come to Jesus, instantly you see that you are what? You're thrown into a warfare. It's spiritual warfare. 
And that's what we face. And because we are in war, we have to be very careful that we don't what uh, open ourselves to those things that wage war against our soul. The goodness of God, the righteousness and holiness of God, the things that don't do us any good. And that's what we, were, we left off at. And we'll continue on verse 12 today. And we'll notice that the theme of the writing in the scriptures that we'll be reading, it deals specifically with how we conduct ourselves. How we conduct ourselves in different areas, and we'll pick at some of those things. But Peter points out how we conduct ourselves with those who rule over us. You've ever worked for someone, and it's just been very difficult to work for them? Right. How do you conduct yourselves with them? How do you conduct yourself? You've ever been pulled over by a police officer, a person of the law, and just didn't like the way he treated you? How do you conduct yourselves? I got a ticket not that long ago. I won't say from what city. And it was totally my fault. I, I, I just didn't notice. And as I passed it, I, I saw the sirens and I went to the side. I rolled down my window. I know the drill. You put both hands on the steering wheel. And I said, hello, sir. Young guy, younger than me. He was an officer. I respect him. Hello, sir. <laughs> and immediately, he comes up to my window and says, man, what? And I, I can't really say it here because I want all of you to uh, respect me, love me, and come back. But from there, it was just like, hey. And there was a lot of um, censor. Beep, 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 beep. From there, I hadn't cursed at him one time. And he cursed at me. But right there, what am I going to do? He's a man of the law. And I'm there. And as however he feels to treat me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm still going to respect him. Because that's his position. Say, sorry, sir. You're right. Sorry, sir. Now, one time, I didn't say, don't talk to me that way. I never spoke to you like that. I just said, sir, you know what? I have all the blame. I made the mistake. Just give me the ticket. How do you do when, the, when someone pulls you over? When your boss tells you you did something wrong? Seriously, like, like that's what Peter is going to talk about today. How we conduct ourselves with those who rule over us. Government. How do you do with government? Hmm. Great topic for today's day. Masters in the case of this scripture, or in our case, the bosses that we may work for. So we start with this reminder. Let's go to verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 2. And that's where we'll start this uh, beautiful message. It says this. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Uh, a translation can say also, be careful to conduct yourselves honorably among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. I, I want you to notice the stressing of honorable behavior. So if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. And they will give you, they will give honor to God when he judges the world. That's the first verse of many verses we'll read today. <clears throat> but when you look at verse 12, I think we would all agree in this right here. That we are to live, well, what's the answer? Honorably, not dishonorable. If, ever, if we say that we are Christians, if we say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live in this world, not in a dishonorable way. 
We are called to live honorable. Honorable. Not just before those who are believers. You see, sometimes before each other, it's easy to live honorable. You, we, we shared that here before. You know, you, we, we know how to play the part in a sense. We say, amen, brother. God bless you. What worship song are you jamming to lately? And we know how to treat one another. But it's not talking about just being honorable amongst believers. But also honorable and more importantly, before those who are unbelievers. That's very important. The family members that are looking at the Jesus in you. The co-worker that is looking at the Jesus in you. The neighbor that is looking at the Jesus in you. The law official that is looking at the Jesus in you. You're called to live honorably. Amen. And that when any lie or evil is spoken against you, or when any wrong judgment of your character, that's what verse 12 is saying. When any judgment of wrong character is made against you, I love how one translation puts it, that they will, by observing your good works, glorify God. So when there's something spoken wrong about you, you don't have to run and bury yourself and say, oh my God, I can't believe that they're speaking. That you carry yourself saying, no, that's a lie. I know what's true. God knows what's true. And that you continue to go forward. And that those individuals, by observing your actions, your reactions, the way you live, your good works, they will come to know and glorify God. Amen. There's a phrase that we've said here before that we should keep out of our mouths, out of our list of vocabulary or things that we say. And it's this one. And maybe this is for a younger generation, so forgive me if it's not one that you fully understand fully, but only God can judge me. You ever met someone that says only God can judge me? You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. And when we read verse 12, we recognize that the answer is no. Unbelievers are observing you, and they're judging you with everything you say, do, how you live, how you act. Don't say only God can judge God could, and we've, man, we've taught that here. God could judge your soul to eternity. No man can do that. But every man on this earth can judge a tree by its fruit. So we don't say those phrases, at least in this church, only God can judge me. Your speech, your conduct, your actions, your reactions, your character, may their observation, may they find good works that in return will cause them to glorify God in their lives. Very deep, very powerful, but it's yet true. I want you to notice all of that that I've just said. And I want you to notice this theme because it's going to be all throughout this message today. And you can't leave here without noticing that. Uh, I was able to spend a couple of weeks ago sharing with, with the leaders and I told them that they are to lead. And one of the main things that they know that they are to know that they lead is that they lead for the sake of others. A person that leads does not lead because a title has been given to them. A person that leads well is a leader because they've, they've earned the honor and the respect of others because they've served others well. That's what leaders do. Leaders are not just talented and because they're talented, they get thrown into a position. If you're a leader in life, if you're a leader because God lives in you, you're called to what? Live for others. 
you serve others. And that's what we were talking about. And I could say that to every single person here, you too are to live and you're called to lead, not for the sake of yourself. And it's not just for the glory of God. It is also for the sake of another person. You lead for the sake of others unto the glory of God. You don't just say, well, I do this for God. No, no. No, you don't just do this for God. You also do this for God's people. We don't just do what we do for the Lord for the Lord, but we serve the church, we serve the body, we serve people. That mindset needs to be taken away from us. We're called to lead and we're called to live for the sake of others unto the glory of God. Amen? As we read these next verses, I want us to look at how Peter's connecting all of these things that I've said and he connects it all together because we just read in verse 12 that the lives of believers help to win over the unbelieving world. We live for others. Our lives help win the unbelievers. It's our lives. It's not the crusade of the next evangelical preacher, which is good. It's not to go to the next concert of the worship band that is coming, which is good. It is your life before them that plants the seed of the, um, to the unbelieving world. So what does Peter do? He shows us exactly how this works and what our duty is in regards to all of this and regards to, to government, civil government. And he shows us all these things and what our duty is. And we're going to start off here as, and we're going to keep reading in verse 13 and 14. Just read with me and then we'll pause and keep going. Look what he says. He says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he's appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who, who do wrong and to honor those who, who do right. 13 and 14. He's going to introduce in respecting and honoring people in authority. And, and, and as I read this, as I understand this, I want to share this with you because I get it at least what it means for me and what I believe it means for the church. That my attitude and my objective as a believer should not be immediately to lean towards being defiant. Should not be to lean towards being problematic or argumentative in every scenario or detail or information that is being presented. That's not what I'm called to do. I'm not called with every issue that rises up in life. I'm going to fight you for that. That's not necessarily what I'm called to do in this world. Because first off, I've, as I started to really dig deep within me, I, I wrote this down and I mean this. First off, I'm working to keep my joy. How many of you are working to keep your joy? <laughs> I'm working to keep my joy. And I don't want to fall into a character that begins to steal that joy from me. Or, I don't want to spend my energy on the things that don't give me any growth or that don't, are not going to do any good for me. So i got to be careful what I spend my energy on because I don't want that to steal my joy as well. And I'm sure in this room, we all are in this battle and in this wrestle, in this match, that we're trying to keep our joy and live in joy in this world. And trying to fight what? Well, you be honest with yourself. Your stress. 
your anxieties, your depression, your problems, your whatever, your weaknesses. What are you trying to do? You're trying to live in joy and keep the joy of Christ inside of you. So I have to start asking myself, and I want you to start asking yourself this as we read through these verses and get into this. First off, I need to ask myself, well, what arguments should I be getting into? And what arguments should I not be having? Very important for the church to ask. Is this an argument that I should be having, or is this an argument I should not even engage in? What conversations should I be having? What conversations should I not? What disagreements should I and should I not be having? Who's our great example? Who, who's the one that we need to put our eyes on? We look at Jesus, and it becomes very interesting. His life. His life was not that different. Probably a whole lot worse his time than our time. Okay? You think, oh man, it's just so rough to live in the United States. Well, you be a Jewish person living in Israel during Jesus' time. For Jesus to walk around the streets of Jerusalem and the towns of Israel under Roman authority and under religious authority that are a bunch of hypocrites that don't really know God that yet are looked at as these little gods around the earth. Or is it harder for you living here in these states today? I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, like, don't look at Jesus and say, oh, he just never understands the days that I'm living in today. No, he surely does. And he surely went through it. And what a, what, what a beautiful and interesting life. When his authority was questioned by the religious leader, Jesus. When Jesus' authority was questioned by Pontius Pilate or by Herod Antipas. By the way, Herod Antipas is the very man that ordered for his cousin to be killed. Okay? You would think, well, when I see and I, when I get the chance and I see him face to face, I'm going to hide the dagger in my robe. And then right when I have a chance... He, he, he cut my cousin's head off. I'm going to stick the dagger, and I'm going to get him right in the neck. Sorry for being so graphic. Forgive me. But he doesn't do that. The very man that kills or orders for his cousin, John the Baptist. When you look at Jesus in all these different circumstances, Jesus doesn't say much. You read the Bible. Have you ever done this? You read the Bible when Jesus confronts you like... Come on, Jesus, say something. Like, for example, when he's on the cross, if you are the son of God, tell the angels to come down and rescue you. And you're like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. But he doesn't do it. I mean, that would have been a great moment to say. I, would, if, I mean, thank God we're not Jesus, you know. But I would have just looked at them and winked and said, you got it. I don't know, whatever sign he gives. Whatever word he says, he does some sort of signal, and a legion of angels comes and just wipes everyone off and says, should not have said it. But Jesus doesn't say a word in that moment. Pontius Pilate, eh. The religious leaders, eh. Actually, when they would say things like, are you the king? What would he say? You said it. He wouldn't even say, you know I am. Oh, yes, I am. He would just say, well, that's what you said. If you said it, it must be. I mean, Jesus, with the powers that be, he knew they were wrong. 
He knew he had a lot to say to them. He could have proved a lot of them wrong. But many times he doesn't say much. To Herod, Jesus says nothing in response to Herod's questions. To the strong, extreme, and cruel accusations of the chief priests and the scribes, Jesus doesn't say much. To Pilate, in John chapter 18, verse 36 and 37, this is how Jesus answers. When Pilate says, are you this, are you that? Who do you say you are? What are you doing? All these things. Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, let's do look what he says. My followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. Did, did you see that? Very, very important here. And then he says, but my kingdom is not of this world. And then in verse 37, well, who are you? Are you the king? And Jesus says, well, you say I'm a king. <laughs> Actually, I love this. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is truth. That's a very, these are very important words from Jesus. His quiet, his silence is actually very loud. His response here to Pilate is actually very detailed. And it means something. Like, I'm not coming to bring a movement on earth that is going to strip you from your throne. That's not what I'm doing. You see, they were so worried about the earthly things. He's like, wait a minute, you think my kingdom's here? I'm establishing something on here. But it's for another kingdom. So he wasn't going to necessarily fight them. He doesn't have to rally a mob. Jesus doesn't do that. We see that in scripture. He doesn't rally a mob of people to attack the religious leaders. You and I would have done that probably. Hey, you know what? Let's get together for the name of Jesus. And let's attack. It's good. It's righteous. We're doing it for Jesus. But he doesn't do that. Or he doesn't teach them to fight for him like he just said. He doesn't organize a movement. Everyone's organizing movements these days. There's a movement for everything. And he doesn't organize a movement at all to work hard to overthrow the present government in Israel. It's not what Jesus does. Actually, what happens when Peter chops off the ear? He corrects Peter. And he corrects his mistake. And he puts the ear back and heals you weren't supposed to do that, Peter. You're, you're, you're thinking and you're acting the way the world thinks and acts. Peter was not using wisdom. I know what I'm going to do. They're doing wrong. So I'm going to take out my... Everyone thinks that, 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 that you're meant to take out your sword and just swipe people's heads off. No, you're not. Put your sword back down and just the best thing you could do probably right now is close your mouth and pray. And seek for wisdom in what needs to be said. What does Jesus do? He heals the very man's ear that was going to arrest him. Can you imagine being Peter? Why would you do that? He's lucky I didn't chop his I, I, I'm happy. That would have been, uh, been awesome if it would have been the head. Because Jesus would, I don't know. Because, you know, you, you heal the ear is still amazing. But imagine putting the head back. I'm just saying. That's how I read the Bible. All right. <clears throat> this is a good time to have conversation because it's, it's true. It's the right thing. It's just, 
But in this passage that we're reading here, Peter is teaching what Jesus lived. Jesus comes to this earth, right? And, and this is Jesus. I need you to know the heart of Jesus as I get into Peter's writing because Peter lived and walked with Jesus. Peter learned from Jesus. Peter's preaching Jesus' words, and that's what he's writing to the church. So Jesus comes on earth, and what does Jesus say? He says things like this. Hey, they're going to hate you because they hated me first. You're like, oh, I thought we were going to be like rulers here. No, no, they're going to hate you. And then he says things like, oh, I come to bring a sword and not peace. But you just told us to put our sword back. Right, but he comes to bring a sword and not peace. His sword is not the world's sword. If you know anything about when Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword and not peace, it's not a sword to kill. When Jesus says, I come to bring a sword and not peace, he's not saying, I'm coming to kill. The sword that Jesus brings, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's the, it's the tool to the believer that serves both as an offense and as a defensive weapon. It means to be what? When, when, when we have the sword of the Spirit, it means to be readied and to know how to properly handle the Word of God. That's what the sword is. Many people are just whipping the sword and they don't do it with the heart of Jesus. And he's like, God, you're just killing people rather than what? Winning them. You're using the tool wrong. The tool is what? To know how to properly handle it. Not just to strike when your heart gets hit. When your ideas get touched. When you're, I mean, be careful. I've given you a sword. And, 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 and it's to be ready and to properly handle it. To serve, yes, as a defense to what? To protect myself from harm, but also as an offense to what? To protect others from being harmed. Do you see that my life is not just about protecting myself, but I also have to walk with the Word of God. I have the responsibility to protect others. So do you. As the Holy Spirit leads us and directs us. And then he says things like this. Oh, I come to divide like father, mother versus against their sons and daughters and vice versa. And you read some of these verses and you read the life of Jesus and all I can say is, man, he's come for this one thing and it's not to fight for necessarily, but it's to win. It's to fight, if anything, for the heart and to win the hearts of man and to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So he comes with a peace to him. Listen to this sentence. He comes to a peace. He comes with a peace to him that brings great change within the one that starts to believe, starting them on a journey of warfare until we reign with him. There's a peace that also what? Pushes us forward into warfare. And then there's this Jesus that says these kind of words, but then we see him in other instances. Where we see him act up in ways that we don't see too often. One that is very popular. We went through it. I think on, um, maybe it was on, uh, on one of the days of Easter or whatnot. We read in the Gospels that he goes to the temple. And many have come to Jerusalem because it's Passover season. There's about 400, 500,000 pilgrims. Think about this for a moment. 500,000 outsiders that are now coming to Jerusalem, which is a much smaller city than what it is today. It was slam-packed. And Jesus goes to the temple and it's slammed. It's full of people. And there are merchants there. 
and they're selling things. There's table full of money, money tables. And in these tables and what these merchants are doing is they're selling, selling doves and cattle and all kinds of livestock. They're being sold for sacrifices and for offerings. And, and guess what else is happening because things are being sold and in the house of God, they're making a lot of money. Uh, there's a lot of overtaxing and there's a lot of inflation that is happening in the house of God. And Jesus does not like what the people are doing in the name of God. And because he does not like that, guess what? For that, he won't stay silent. So he makes a whip of cords. And what he does next is beautiful. I love this. He causes a scene. He causes a scene and a mess. There are coins flying everywhere. There's money flying everywhere. Whenever that happens, the crowd goes wild. You know that. He's turning over. He's not just whipping the tables and money's flying. He's running up to the money changers and he's throwing their table over. And he's screaming at them. He's looking. He probably looks the way I look with the veins and he's red and stuff like that. All over the courtyard, there's a disaster. There's money. There's people screaming. There's animals making the noises that they make. Birds flying. Everyone looking at Jesus. The disciples like, what have you done? And with his whip of leather cords, he's snapping it around and he begins to yell out things like this. Take these things away. My house is not a house of trade. It's a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. <sighs> Love to have been there. See, Peter saw that. Peter walked and learned from Jesus. Peter had to also grow through the various trials that he would encounter throughout the years before writing this letter. And we see that there is a peaceful and quiet part to him, to Jesus. But when needs to be, there is this forceful, aggressive, and confrontational part to him as well. And I love that about Jesus. He is what? Both the lion and the lamb. Jesus knew how to submit and when it was time to be vocal. And in this passage, Peter is teaching what? Learn to submit to authority. A lot of people have authority issues. I've learned that in the church. Everyone's like, oh man, just when you see something wrong, just tell me oh, you tell something wrong and then they just hate you the next day. You have issues with authority. No one can tell you that you did something wrong. No one could tell you, hey, you know what, maybe this could be a little bit better. And, 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 and that's the reality. And then maybe it starts because of our home life. Who knows what happens there. But, but he's teaching to learn to submit because as it's written in verse 12, why should I submit to my authority? Because they will see your honorable behavior and they will what? Give honor to God. How many of you can say amen? amen. Who is a great example of this? I mean, scripture is full of it. Full of them. Great examples. One that is very popular is Daniel. Daniel is in Babylon. We know what happens. I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to pray. They catch him praying three times to his God. We know what happens. He gets thrown into the lion's den. But what happens with Daniel is amazing. He wins the heart of a heathen king. Who then changes the decrees of the many nations of the many peoples that he rules over. I want you to catch this. In Daniel chapter 6, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read through what happens 
when Darius says, Daniel, are you still alive? And he finds out that Daniel's still alive. He brings him out of the lion's dead. And watch what the king does. Verse 25, Daniel chapter 6. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race, nation, and language to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. Here is a man who worshipped many gods, who had many idols, and he just signed a decree from now on, from now on throughout my whole kingdom, you tremble and fear the one true God, the God of Daniel, who shuts the mouth of lions, who does what he is famous for, things that he's famous for. He says this, for he is the living God, verse 26, This is King Darius, not Daniel saying this. For he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. Man, this guy got discipled. Well, instantly, immediately, bam, discipleship 101. He got the revelation. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He's rescued my friend Daniel from the power of the lion. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What happened to Daniel? He didn't fight against him and said, you know what? You serve other gods. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to tell everything that you're doing wrong. You are this. You know what he did? Daniel lived honorable. And what happened was when it was his time, the honorable Daniel, eyes were watching him. And guess what? He was exalted. The king was saved. The nation was saved to the next kingdom. Daniel had the heart of God. He didn't take out a sword and say, when Cyrus is sleeping, because he's going against my beliefs, I'm going to cut his head off. Instead, he said, oh, he says I can't pray to another god. I'm going to respect him, I'm going to submit and honor him, but I can't do anything that is against my word. I'm not going to cause problems with him, he needs to do what he's going to do, but I'm going to decide to go back to my chamber, and I'm still going to pray and seek God as accustomed in my day that I always do three times. And if I get caught, then I'll deal with whatever it needs to be dealt with, and may the Lord fight for me. And my God, the Daniel, here we are still preaching about him today. Imagine if Daniel was... Another kind of extreme person, not using wisdom, giving the ability to God, for God to be glorified. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, what is Peter writing to the church? The church where? In Turkey. To believers. And this is baffling to me. Because the king that is reigning over all of this area that he is referring to is Nero. Peter is writing, respect the king. Submit to the king, and the king is Nero, who reigned from 80, 80, 54 through 68. And Peter makes it plain that we are to submit to the overall authority in his day. He, yes, Nero is a terrible emperor. He persecuted the church. He did a huge amount of evil. Just study the history books. But yet Peter says, submit, meaning be subject. We are called to submit to those in authority, even those in lesser authority, like governors or like local officers. Peter says, what the, what's the word, church? Submit. Why would Peter say that? You want to know why I think Peter would say that? Because he understood that there was a great purpose even for someone as evil as Nero. 
And he said, there's no way that this man is in his position and God has no knowledge of it. So Peter writes with that understanding, submit. When you think about submit in this text, it doesn't mean, hey, church, make them your Lord or make them your God. It just means place yourself, subordinate under them. Meaning, hey, you don't have to agree with everything they say. For example, in our lives, we don't have to agree with everything our president says. We don't have to agree with everything the government says. We don't have to agree with everything our governor says. We don't have to agree with everything the local uh, officials say and do. But one thing that I'm getting from Peter is that though I don't agree with everything, I am to have the right conduct in all things. I got to live with proper conduct. Why? Because I have eyes that are watching me. I got ears that are hearing me. So what do I have to do? I got to live wise. With wisdom. Have the right and honorable conduct. What are you saying? What I'm saying is don't be steered by the emotions of this world. But by the truth of God's word. Through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Submit. And when it comes against God's word, when it attacks his house, have the right spirit in that moment when it comes. So that what? So that you'll be able to defend the truth. If you don't have the right spirit, you're going to hurt people rather than win people. When the house gets attacked, when the church gets attacked, when God's word gets attacked, you defend the truth. But you have the right spirit in that moment. Submit, please listen church, does not mean that you will not defend. I'm not up here saying don't you ever defend. No, no, no. Submit does not mean to not defend. It means that we'll use godly wisdom defending truth while under the powers that he's placed over us in our lifetime. That's what Peter is saying. Use godly wisdom. Daniel did it. I'm doing it. Peter says, you could do it. Amen? You understand that? Godly wisdom defending truth with those that rule over us in our lifetime. Godly wisdom. The wisdom of this world won't get us anywhere. Godly wisdom. Let's read verse 15, 16, and 17. It says this. He continues and he says, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish, foolish accusations against you. Look what he says. For you are free, but yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Verse 17, you respect everyone. Come on, say that. Yeah. You love the family of believers. You fear God. You honor, you respect the king. Powerful words from Peter. Peter is writing these words. And what is backing up Peter? Peter's command. What, what authority is backing him up? As he's commanding the church to do these things in regards to government and to all this stuff. Well, I could truly say this by reading the words of Peter. He knows that God is backing him up. Listen to this. The God of the universe... The, the supreme, the sovereign ruler of, over all citizens and governments, over, over all Christians, and if they don't know this yet, even non-Christians, 
He knew he is the one that's backing me up. And what is Peter saying? And I am, and we are church called to put to silence. Our actions should make our accusers speechless. It's like a muzzle that is placed over their mouths. That's what our lives should be. So, so what is Peter, as we deepen in this, what is he writing here? That though we are under their reign, under their rule, verse 16, don't ever forget though that you are free. We were slaves, and we're, we're yet as we're slaves and servants, it's unto God. Listen, we submit to them, but we are slaves, not to any man, but only to God. We're servants unto the Lord. So in our service to the Lord, in our freedom, in our freedom, we don't carry ourselves in an evil manner or in an evil agenda. We don't use our life in Christ and his forgiveness and knowledge. Oh, I could do evil because God forgives and has grace. But we, go back to verse 17. This is what we're called to live, church. This is what Peter is saying. We're called to live, live in honor. Live to honor and respect all people. Respect people. You have someone that you don't agree with their lifestyle? What are you called to do? You honor them. Respect them. Don't agree with them. But you could what? Maybe win them with your life. Win them with your life. Love the family of believers. Love the brotherhood. That's what we are to do. Fear God. Respect. Honor the king. We fear God, never the king. Did you notice that? We fear God, but we honor the king. We fear God, not the king. We give respect to the king, knowing that that he and they will stand, every single one of them, one day before God, the God that we reverently live for. Verse 18, he says, you are slaves, but submit to your masters with all respect. I'm going to touch up on some things in your life here. He says, do what they tell you, like to be told what to do. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even, church, if they are cruel. See, this passage here is different than slaves as we know in our history in America. These individuals actually, as Peter is writing, were actually allowed to work for pay. They, they, they were a different kind of slaves. They were able to save money even and to buy freedom if they didn't want to be under their masters anymore. They were, they were known also to be entrusted. We see parables in the New Testament with a lot of money, immense money of their masters. And they had responsibility to take care of their master's company, their farm, their field, while they were away. They weren't just ordinary slaves. And I thought about this and I said, well, I want everyone here in church today to think about the jobs that you have. Think about the bosses that you have. Think about the ownership. Maybe you are the boss. Maybe you are the ownership. Maybe you are the one that employs people. Think about yourself too. You may not agree with all of their philosophies, with all of their ideas, You may not even agree with how they treat you or how they treat others. But what is Peter teaching the church here? You do what they tell you, whether it's cruel or whether it's kind and gentle. You do that. Why would you do that? So that the heart of Christ can be seen. We're to serve even the worst bosses. What? Yes, even with respect. (laughs) Yes. Many times... We want to get out of that environment. In some cases, you have to get out of the environment. But sometimes you can't. Why? Because I don't know where else to go. I can't work. I can't get any other income. And maybe for you, you know what? It's not a job. 
And I want to make this personal to you. It can be a family member, and it's a family member that you can't swap. Oh, can I change this family member for someone else? You can't do it. And they make life impossible. Do not raise your hand. Don't even say you have that in your family, but I'm sure we've been there. Maybe it's a parent. Parents, maybe it's a child. Marriages, maybe it's a spouse. It could be a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt. Listen, when they're sweet, when they're gentle and kind, it's easy to love. To honor them, to respect them. But when they're harsh, our first thought is to what? Escape. But what is Peter teaching? What is Jesus telling us? Enduring in the suffering, though, produces and demonstrates the character of Jesus. Look, look, as we get ready to close up here, look at verse 19, 20, and 21. We're coming towards the end of chapter 2. He says, for God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently, God is pleased with you when you get through unjust treatment. Now when you fight back, when you open your mouth and you tell them, you give them your two cents, the scripture says he's happy with you and he's pleased when you endure harsh treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient. If you are beating for doing wrong, you deserved it. You did wrong, get the beating. Crime, you do the crime, you, you do the time. Don't come crying. That's what Peter's saying. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, I love this, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good. To do what, church? What did God call you to do, you and your honorable conduct? He called you to do good on this earth. Look what he says next. doesn't just end it there. Even if it means suffering. Oh, God, but I don't want to suffer. No, no, no. Endure, do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ has suffered for you, for he is your example, and you must follow in these steps, his steps. I love this. The Holman says it this way, for it brings favor if, mindful of God's will, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. But when you do what is good and you suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Listen, church. Here it is. This is the theme of 1 Peter. We know that from the first week that we got together. Endure through hardships. Is your family going through a hardship? Are you going through a hardship personally? What is it right now personally that's going on? What will it be that you face tomorrow? What is Peter? What is Scripture teaching us? Come on. You endure. You endure through the hardship. You keep your testimony. You protect your conduct. And there will be rewards for you that await. But you got to have the right conduct. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 12 in the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely because of my account, on my account. Rejoice. Be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For if they persecuted the prophets who were before you, come on, they're going to do it to you. There's rewards. So I wrote this, and I put this in bold to echo 
But he writes, there is no advantage for us when we endure punishment for our wrongdoing. But there's great value. There is great worth when we endure with our lives and our action when others do us wrong. So watch this. Because I preached this message today, tomorrow you're going to wake up in the morning and you're probably going to have someone do you wrong. You're probably going to get a bad text. You're probably going to get to job, to your job, and, and they're going to tell you something you do not want to hear. Or they're going to tell you something that you do not want to do. I'm just letting you know that you're probably going to be tested in this word. Just like when you fasted, and the next day, they ordered free lunch for everyone at your job. <laughs> Same thing. So what I'm trying to tell you is, you're going to be tested now. Your family's going to get tested. You're going to get tested. Something's going to happen in your life. And I'm not prophesying this over you. No, I'm not. Not, not at all. I'm just saying that's the reality of the life that we live. But when the wrong of others comes towards you, when the harshness and the cruelty of man comes before you, like it did to Jesus, I will repeat this. There is great value. There is great worth. So what do you want me to do, Pastor Rigo? I want you to do this. Do it with me because I'm trying to do it. Let's do it together. We endure through the hardship together. We endure through the hardships that other, that life circumstances and that others can bring in our lives. Because in enduring, we will show the heart of Jesus. And if it means winning one, one for the gospel, all my suffering and all your suffering is worth it if it's just for one. So what's my hope? Well, here's our hope. We're going to end with these verses. For the sake of time, I won't break down verse by verse, but I'll read it, and I think you're going to get something out of it. Verse 21, as we close up, says this. Here's our hope, guys. For God called you to do good. Can you say that? God called me to do good? Let's make this about, let's, let's make this personal. Ready? For God called me to do good. Say it. Even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for me, he's my example. I must follow his steps. Now look at our example. He never sinned, never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. Actually, I'm going to pause for a moment. When he's on the cross, he didn't put his head up and say, Father, strike these suckers dead for what they've done. His heart says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they have just done. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And he's Jesus. He's Jesus. We're living in a world which is quickly trying to divide. Quickly 
trying to mess with your mind. Come on, keep yourself steady. Don't follow the stream of this world. Don't follow the news outlets and get sucked up in that. Don't follow the politics and get sucked up in that. I'm trying to help you and tell you, get caught up in Christ. Grow in wisdom and know how to operate in this world that we're living in today. Know how to operate in this world. Because Jesus on the cross, if it was me, I probably would have opened my mouth and I would have skipped my life to Revelation. But the scripture where it says out of his mouth comes a flaming sword, fire, and destroys the enemies of Israel. I would have been like, that's what I'm going to choose right now. But instead he says, Father, forgive them. The very ones that were persecuting him. Come on, church, I hope this is striking a chord in your heart. It says that, why did he do all this? Because it was for something bigger than to prove himself right. His agenda right. His ideas are right. Verse 24, this is the reason why. Because he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we now can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, now we are healed. Once, not anymore, come on church, once you were like sheep who were wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd and he has become the guardian of your soul. Come on, you live on this earth with honorable and your conduct should be honorable conduct. Why? Because of the guardian of of our soul who lives and bared our sin for us. If I'm going to fight, if I'm going to make myself vocal, I need to make sure I hear the heart, the voice, the message of heaven for the time that we're living for on this earth and not be so quick to get caught up with the stream that this world, in the stream of this world. Come on, church. Live honorably respect honor submit show the heart of jesus with your life with your words honorable conduct from this day forward to the day that you reign with him how else was peter hung upside down praising the lord how else were they chopped in half eyes embedded out man they did this they suffered because it was worth it they had honorable conduct for the sake of Jesus, even if it means my life, I will be and remain under his wisdom, under his control. How many of you could say amen? Come on, can you pray with me right there where you're sitting? You don't have to stand up. Just right there. Just let's pray. Lord, I thank you and I love you, Lord. I believe that you're taking us through this letters, letters of Peter because it means so much to us today. The last four teachings have really reached deep places in our, in our hearts. Has really caused us to, to look at the mirror. Has really, it's really caused us to pray and to seek you and to get some things right. 
thank you for your word. But Lord, as we've gone through chapter 2 today, we're not dumb. None of us here needs to be a rocket scientist to understand that we're not going to always all agree and we're not going to always want to submit. I've had to submit under leadership that sometimes maybe you could feel like they didn't deserve it. That's okay. Lord, you're teaching us something to submit that our conduct would be honorable that when they observe us that they will come to glorify you. And Lord, in this time in my own social media account I've wanted to post something. In my own social media account I've wanted to tell someone else something of my I wanted to give them my two cents. I wanted to chop someone's ear off. Sometimes I've wanted to come up to this platform and I wanted to share what my own thoughts are on these things. But Lord, that's not what you're calling us to do. You want us just to be careful. You want us to be quiet. You want us to be led by your spirit. You want us to seek wisdom. And then, you want us to operate in that wisdom. Lord, I'm tired of people hurting each other. That we would stop hurting and that we would start winning because we do it with the right heart and because we go forward with the right conduct. Help the church understand this. Though even I or we as Ness may not fully get it yet. Or maybe your church all around the world may not fully get it. But let us get it. Let us understand. And let our conduct, let it be right and honorable before everyone we do life with and life before. I pray that over every single one of our lives. And I pray that over my life. In Jesus' mighty name, together we say, amen.